3: Welcome to Good Happen here. I am Andrew of the YouTube channel Andrewism. Last time I spoke about colonialism's effect on the psyche of the people within it. And today I want to talk about how a people under the thumb of colonialism go about their liberation and how that struggle fits within some version of an anarchist analysis. National liberation is a struggle against the relationship of exploitation and domination inflicted upon a nation. It's a struggle against the domination of one people by another, often centered on questions of language, culture, welfare, equality, and land. It has consequences, and it's not something we can just stand by neutrally and ignore. In fact, ignoring national liberation struggles would mean siding with national oppression. There's no centrist take here. There is no both sides to the oppression of a people by another. Of course, that doesn't mean that national liberation struggles are free of critique or necessarily morally righteous. National liberation struggles are usually quite diverse. Within them, there are many tendencies at play, from the most reactionary to the most revolutionary. I don't know if any immediately come to mind for you, Mia.
4: Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, mean, you know, I I think I always think about right is like China's a well, it kind of unique. I mean, there's there's a lot of countries that you get multiple like national liberation movements. China is kind of unique in that we had two nominally left wing national liberation movements and like one of them, one of them is the KMT who like. The 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 end of their Natlib arc is like training a bunch of death squads in El Salvador because they'd gotten so good at killing peasants that like you know <laughs> this is what they're doing with their life and the other one is CCP and it's like well okay like great great job guys like liberated we've liberated a lot of people we've like you know I, I don't know it's it's I, I think I think there's sort of two ways of looking at that where it's like you have on the one hand you can look at it from the sort of like workers perspective where it's like well yeah okay so both the you, you have your two national liberation movements and both of them end up machine gunning about a billion workers depending on like you know in, in offset from each other about 40 years but you know you have the shanghai massacre and you have the Cultural revolution and then i think the other thing that's important when you're looking at like a natlib movement is like whose nation is being liberated and this is something you get with like Indonesia, right? Where you 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 have you have the national liberation movement, but then you simultaneously have like the occupation of uh, West Papua.
3: Yeah, so it's like a Russia nest egg of, <laughs> of of national oppression. Like the like Indonesia was being oppressed by the Dutch, and then Indonesia ends up oppressing people of West Papua and East Timor and all those different places.
4: Yeah, and, and you you see this a lot with like for, you know I don't, this is why like I th- I keep coming back to like whose nation is being liberated thing because it's like you know you get this with a lot of like the sort of pan Arab movements and it's like well okay we're doing like resistance to sort of like French or British colonialism and then like yes this is this is okay if you are Arab like God help you if you're a Kurd or like <laughs> Yazidi or like you know so yeah. the, the, there's there's always these sort of I don't know, you you, you have to be careful about who wins the National Liberation Movement.
3: Exactly, exactly. Because no matter where a National Liberation struggle is happening, there are most likely minorities that are not (laughs) encapsulated in that. You know, there are always going to be populations of people who are not of that nation, within the territory of the National Liberation Struggle. And then beyond that, there are also, within National Liberation Struggles, other ongoing struggles, including class struggle. While the oppressed classes might cling to National Liberation Struggle in an effort to defend against foreign subjugation and exploitation, the capitalist class is using that struggle for National Liberation to consolidate their own power and monopolize their own exploitation of the working class. A lot of capitalists, their whole investment in national liberation boils down to, I don't like the fact that I have to compete with foreign capitalists. I want to compete with local capitalists so I can come out on top. And yeah, that's not cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then I think another thing that gets conflated when you start talking about national liberation, liberation of a nation, is the concept of nationalism, Right nationalism is a program that has been proposed or rather a suite of programs that have been proposed as the solution to national liberation struggles. Because I can't even say that nationalism is a single program. Nationalism itself is quite diverse as we'll soon see. But nationalism is only one response, one possible response. It may be the most common response, but it's only one possible response to the national liberation struggle. And then there's also the terminology that gets modelled when you start talking about nationalism, right? Because as I defined, national liberation is the struggle of uh, an exploited people against a dominating group or against their domination, just generally. Not necessarily against one specific group. Could be multiple groups. But it's the struggle of a people against their domination. However, when you get into nationalism... There are forms of nationalism developed by oppressive groups, developed by the oppressors. Sometimes they developed a nationalism in order to more effectively oppress the people they're oppressing. And so, and you know, you can even argue that there are cases where oppressed nations adopt nationalism as a strategy for their liberation and end up pursuing a form of nationalism that is quite similar to that which they were being oppressed under. There's one immediate example that comes to mind, if you know what I mean. Uh, I have like nine, so I'm not entirely sure which one you were
1: pointing
4: <laughs>
3: at. But... Oh, nine. Okay, okay. What are you thinking of?
4: Okay, well, okay, I, I wanted to talk about there's I think there's like a very, there's like a kind of Chinese nationalism that does this a lot. But this is, I think, a kind of common thing of like, the, there, one, one of the sort of responses to colonization, that's pretty common is this really, really this sort of like, like quintupling down on patriarchy where you know mm. you, you, you like what because one of the effects of colonization obviously is like the this sort of like one of the sort of psychological things is is this sort of like you know is this installation of of inferiority into the minds of people who are being colonized and so one of the ways people respond to this is by being like no like the colonizers are wrong like our men are actually really strong and like our men are actually incredibly manly and like we have really really like tight powerful control over women and you see this fucking everywhere right this is why all of like there's so many sort of like Chinese nationalists who are so obsessed with like these videos of like the they're, like they're basically indistinguishable from American right wing videos where they're just like walking around with no shirts on and being like, look at how strong I am. And it's like you see you see this thing with like Hindu uh, people too, where it's like they they do like exactly the same shit. Like it's all over the fucking place. You can see you can see the Taliban doing this now too, and it's like it, it's it's like it's you know it it's it's they very so they're
3: seeing colonization as emasculating.
4: Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's you know, and, and I think there's 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 this mode of like reactionary anti colonialism where it's like they see it as emasculating, and they see the problem with colonization was it stopped them from being an empire. And you see you see this a lot with Chinese nationalism, where it's like, you know, like their 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 effective problem with like the century humiliation was that they didn't get to keep being the Qing Empire or get to keep colonizing other people. And that's like a very I don't know I think I think that that that's a very common sort of like thing that happens when it's this is a very common sort of like ideological basis for sort of the right wing of anti-colonial well i don't know even calling them anti-colonial movements is kind of like being a bit generous but yeah i think it's a very common form of sort of right-wing nationalism that emerges as a reaction to colonization
3: What immediately came to mind to me and what I was thinking of was Zionism. Yeah, that too. (laughs) (laughs) Now, to be fair, it was, oh, rather, correct me if I'm wrong. It was a movement that existed prior to World War II, no? Yeah, yeah. Right. And then, you know, the experiences of World War II took place and there were different paths that the movement could have taken. And I don't want to invalidate the beginnings of the movement considering the experiences of Jewish people for centuries in Europe uh, and the oppression and the pogroms and so on that they faced. But, well, we've seen the fruit of one particular path that that movement undertook. And that path has led to another nation struggling for its liberation, and that being the Palestinians. The common example of distinction um, used is that of the distinction between white nationalism and black nationalism. White nationalism having a very clear history of violent supremacy and colonialism, while black nationalism was established in response to that experience of subjugation and colonialism and with a desire for self-determination. The program of nationalism, specifically among oppressed nations, has generally seen the oppressed nation as a united bloc. Uh, National liberation movements, nationalist movements, nationalist movements typically ignore class, they ignore gender, they ignore religion, they ignore other divisions, for the most part, in favour of the development of an independent state, which is usually some form of capitalist, either a state capitalist, welfare capitalist, or a neoliberal capitalist. And nationalism is often weaponized and promoted by the ruling class in order to unite the oppressed classes with their domestic oppressors, replacing foreign capitalists with local capitalists, foreign generals with local generals, and foreign government officials with local officials in a word, to conceal the importance of class struggle. You see, often in the cases of newly independent countries, there's almost a brief haze of, or rather, let me speak not generally, but from my own knowledge of my own history. Toronto-Tobago gained independence in 1962 from the British. Uh, This was after a very brief period where... We experimented with a West Indian Federation, West Indies being a designation of the Caribbean by the British. The Federation failed, um, and so Trinidad and Tobago struck out on their own. And so Trinidad and Tobago became an independent country in 1962, and there was really a sense of you know, joy and jubilant celebration because of that freedom. You know, we finally broke the shackles of the British. Um, however, it was a very, it was certainly a very constitutional uh, independence. You know, it wasn't an independence brought forth by violent struggle. You know, it wasn't a situation like Algeria. Um, it was more so the British carefully groomed a generation of politicians and uh political leaders that would and business leaders that would take on the role that they were fulfilling in order to continue that colonial situation in under new management essentially under more familiar management and that very quickly became apparent to the population which is why we had the black power revolution in 1970 it was born out of the frustration that new management, but everything was pretty much the same. Many people who experienced the successes of independence and of nationalism that often bears that independence, they eventually come to recognize that nationalism was not enough. Nationalism has repeatedly failed to solve poverty, to solve oppression, exploitation, and suffering. But many states have become formally independent from their colonial masters, thanks to nationalist movements, neocolonialism perseveres. And yet, in spite of the continuation of oppression and suffering post-independence, you end up seeing some people's response to that being greater nationalism, rather than an exploration of other options. So it is this result of nationalism that has led to its criticism and opposition by anarchists. Again, there's a difference between nationalism and national liberation. But in that criticism of nationalism, I see some anarchists, while recognizing that there are class divisions within a nation, end up ignoring national divisions within a class in favor of some ideal and united working class. The truth is that the oppressed classes of some nations have benefited from the domination of the oppressed classes in other nations. So let's not do class reductionism. Nations that have had constant war waged against them for centuries tend to turn to nationalism for their national liberation. That's obvious. I think, you know, you could cut them some slack for not thinking about the global working class when they're literally under assault for their national identity. When you're fighting colonial administrators and foreign armies, you're not studying the class war. Which is why, historically, national liberation struggles using nationalism have ignored class divisions among the oppressed nation. But not always. Black nationalism, for example, uh, has always been a very diverse political movement, with several currents and opposing perspectives within it. The common thread is, of course, a resistance to the dominance of the white supremacist system and the assertion of lack sovereignty, recognizing that we have to free ourselves without waiting for permission, recognizing we have to protect ourselves from the continued assault of the empire, of the empire, recognizing that we can be proud of and love our bodies, our minds, our heritage, a rejection of Eurocentrism. And yet some manifestations of black nationalism have been reactionary, capitalistic, homophobic, and patriarchal. Others have stood in stark opposition to those current. In particular, revolutionary black nationalism, unlike other forms of black nationalism, has consistently stood in opposition to all forms of oppression, including imperialism, white supremacy, and capitalism. In my view, and as many other black anarchists have noted, revolutionary black nationalism has a place in the struggle, in conjunction with the struggle against patriarchy, capitalism, and the state as we aim to prefigure a world free of all forms of domination. In spite of our critiques of how nationalism tends to manifest, it is not the only way to undertake national liberation. We can incorporate other fights within that struggle. We can recognize the importance of national liberation while staying true to our principles. Anarchism is an internationalist movement. It aims for an entirely new world, not just a pocket of change here and there. But we cannot be so focused on that international struggle that we ignore the very vital local and regional struggles taking place. Internationalism and class struggle are not in contradiction to national liberation struggle. I believe a real internationalism has to stand in solidarity with the working class and peasantry everywhere, including those of oppressed nationalities. However, at the same time, we cannot uncritically support national liberation struggles. We cannot afford to just write a blank check of support. It is necessary to engage politically with national liberation movements and engage in dialogues with all of their complexities and contradictions. Engaging with and uplifting the progressive elements within those national liberation struggles while criticizing the reactionary elements within those struggles.
4: I think it's it's incredibly important. I don't know if intervene in them is the correct thing, is the, the, the best way to put it, but like, you know, from, from, from the sort of like East Asian perspective, it's like, yeah, so we, we, had, we had three successful national liberation movements like next to each other. And then after they won their national liberation movements, instead of like continuing the war against the U.S. or whatever, they went to war with each other. So, Damn. you know, you have to sort of like... Something, something, something very clearly went wrong with our Natlib movements. When well, I mean, obviously, like, okay, something went very wrong with Khmer Rouge, but like, you know,
3: <laughs> that's that's understates and things, but yeah, <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah. You know that that's it. But like, you know, they're they're like obvi- obviously, obviously like the, the Khmer Rouge was fucked from the start. But you know, the fact that like the U.S. and Vietnam, like the 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 Vietnamese. Like, army finally defeats the American colonizers and then basically immediately are invaded by China is a sign that, like, <laughs> something went terribly, terribly wrong in the process of these struggles. And that, like, I don't know <laughs> if you're going to do this properly, you, you have to make sure that, like, this shit doesn't happen because, you know, it, it's it's a just. The, the product of this is just sort of unfathomable human tragedy of a bunch of colonized people fucking murdering each other for like nothing or you know I guess like China's immediate I don't know geopolitical realignment with the US in exchange for like industrial capital goods or some shit so you know you gotta <laughs> you gotta make sure that doesn't happen
3: yeah yeah and that means intervening Okay, like you said, you don't want to say intervene necessarily, but it it does require having these discussions early on. Like, you don't wait until after a preventable tragedy takes place to try and prevent a tragedy, you know? If you're seeing signs of that, (laughs) the potential for that, um, you know, probably do something about it. If a movement is so fragile that a criticism of the way that it's structured or a criticism of an aspect of its ideology is enough to prevent it from succeeding or prevent it from collapsing into internal divisions, whatever the case may be, then I don't think that it is robust enough to handle the struggle uh for its first for liberation
4: yeah that's, um, that's that's like they're definitely you're definitely going to lose like yeah like if, like if, you, if, like, if, it, if it's descent. easy
3: for an ally to criticize and you know maybe call something out and that's enough for everything to crumble how easy do you think it's gonna be for like your actual enemies to like come in and shake things up and like dismantle the organization from the inside yeah, you know, if you, if you don't have room for dissent from, you know, your allies, from your compatriots, then what about your enemies? What do you think your enemies are going to try and capitalize on? They're going to try and fuel and empower that dissent and push it in different directions to even further splinter the movement. You know, it's 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 complicated. It's it's difficult. It's Not something that I ever want to present myself as having all the answers for. But, you know, I feel like certain things should be clear, you know? Um, Maybe we should try and prevent certain issues from getting worse. Um, If you see, like, for example, a cult of personality developing, maybe do something about it before that cult of personality has, you know, guns on their side and the full power of a state apparatus behind them. I mean, that's just me though. Um, (laughs) A truly internationalist position in my view recognizes that human unity can only be achieved through mutual respect, solidarity, alliance, and discourse among peoples. International revolution would require participation in national struggle for self-determination and human dignity against imperialist domination. It will require a shift, as I always say, in our powers, in our drives, in our consciousness. I think we want to have solidarity with national liberation struggles. It really starts in that realm. And then also, I think there are ways that we can, as allies, intervene in certain aspects of that process. You know, in confrontation, lending you know material support to protests or occupations, in non-cooperation, supporting strike funds, in prefiguration, providing resources. You don't want these acts of solidarity to get lost in NGOs or in aid organizations, or whatever. You're trying to get things. Actually, that's a whole tangent. Let me just scratch that entirely. I'm going to go off. I'll leave off by saying that if we oppose male supremacy, the patriarchy, we must support women's fight against it. That doesn't mean blindly supporting, you know, bourgeois, liberal, girl boss feminism. It means listening to, learning from, and collaboratively developing the revolutionary feminist project to liberate all women from patriarchal domination and ultimately, all people. If workers decide to form a union, in many cases, an existing union is pro-capitalist and hierarchical. And yet, despite the structural issues with many unions, we still stand with the workers against the bosses, even as we try to convince them of the need for a transformation of those unions, of union militancy, of opposition to bureaucracy, in order to fully liberate them from class domination instead of merely engaging in dialogue with their oppressors. We can walk and chew gum at the same time is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. We can act in solidarity without being subservient to what we may perceive to be something that goes against our values. Solidarity, as I like to view it, is a discourse between peoples about how we determine our own freedom. We may disagree with certain things. We can critique certain things. Um, we've seen again and again certain mistakes being made over and over again in movements and we can call them out but you know you, you can have your principles you can engage and you should engage in the complexity and contradictions and national liberation struggles offering critique where needs be resisting reactionary capitalist patriarchal and status elements when they manifest and providing support in any way that you are able in any way that they request that you be People aren't a monolith, think for yourself, more power to all people, usual things. That's it for me. Um, you can support me on patreon.com slash Saint and follow me on YouTube at Andruism. This has been it Ikrappn here with myself and Mia. Peace out.
0: It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year